All right, let's go to Psalm 91. You ready? It jumps right out of the gate, and here's what the psalmist writes, beginning in verse 1. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. He is faithful. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. So right out of the gate, it says, listen, God wants you to know that he is your God. He wants you to be able to say, as I can say, this is my God. What my God offers to us is this shelter. What my God offers to us is these faithful promises that provide an armor and a protection for our life. In verse 5, it goes on and says, Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them, and I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Now, when you read that text, they feel like great words of comfort. I mean, it's not unusual that this text would be used in a funeral service. But I think what happens, and I think it's happened in my life, matter of fact, I know this has happened in my life, where there's a season in which we have a, this, this, this kind of a crash and, and, and season where we're just in the middle of a faith crisis. It's like as, as a follower of Jesus, all those things about God I hear and, and, and I believe and cognitively, I can't really wrap my head around it, but I've also had seasons where I stepped into that season and I believe these things, but what happened in that season of life, there were, there were several times in my life where I can point to and say, okay, God, where were you when that happened? All right, all that stuff that you just said, God, where, where were you when that happened to me? When, when my kid was locked up and I had to get him out of jail, where were you? Where, when my loved one died, where were you? God, where were you when, when Kevin Jaggy went to be with you this morning? And the preacher line on that is to pull a pin and lob a grenade inside that would say he was right where Jesus was when he gave his life on the cross. And the, by the way, I don't think that's comfort for those of us that step into a, a crisis of faith. Because logistically, in, in your mind, you can put all these pieces together and you say, now wait a minute. If God was beside Jesus when Jesus died, when his blood was shed, when he was broken, when he was taken off that cross, when he's put into that borrowed tomb, and Jesus in that, where was God then? Because if you're telling me he's with me like that, I'm not ready for that. I don't want that God. What I want to know is, where is my God when this stuff happens? And I will say to you, if you've had a season where you've had a crisis of faith, join the crowd. 
And I want to say loud and clear, if you've had a crisis of faith or you're in a crisis of faith right now and you're saying, all that stuff that God promised, I'm not feeling. I want to say, good for you. I believe part of being a follower of Jesus is to have seasons in our life where we say, God, where are you? I'm in the thick of junk right now. This world is dragging me down. Where are you? Where are those words of comfort when that happened? And if you're here today or you're watching online today and you say, you know what, Chuck, here's my problem. I get all those words of comfort. They're so sweet, but why is my life falling apart? Why is my family falling apart? Why is my marriage in, 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 in danger zone? Why are my kids just, just busting out like hellions? Why don't I have a job? Why, I, why, why can't I pay the bills? God, where are you when I'm paying the bills? And these words, including times in my life and in my family's life, I think we hear them, we know them, we understand them, but I think we have every right to stop and say, but where are they? Where's, when, when life just beats a crud out of me, where are they? Can you just show me that, Chuck? Can you make me believe in that? Well, I want to try. But I also want to say to you that the bedrock of trying to work your way through this faith crisis that you may be in or just came out of or just going into. The bedrock is, the, is this belief that God could be your God. You see, I, I get to stand here and say with absolute certainty, I am so far from perfect. I'm the most whacked out person I know. I'm certainly the most whacked out preacher I know. And I've had seasons where it's like, God, I don't know where you've been, but I'm telling you, you weren't with me. And then I get to see my God, you never left me. You walked me through it. You, did, you didn't lead me to avoid all the junk in my life. You led me through it that it might be for my good and for your glory. And I was trapped in the moment at time, but I couldn't see beyond. And my God says, I know, son, I know. And he reaches down and he kind of grabs me by the shoulder and he pulls me up next to me and he says, see, I'm your God, Chuck. In the middle of all that junk that you went through, I was there. You just didn't see me. You didn't feel me. You didn't know me, but I was there. There's a, there's a divinely inspired word from Psalm 91 that's found in the New Testament. And I'm one of those folks that believes the Bible makes perfect sense if you just don't try to read it chronologically. You just see it and understand every word has been inspired for a purpose. When we get the context then, we get the context now. And so in the New Testament, Psalm 91 is spoken by Satan himself. So Jesus is, he's being tempted by Satan. And Satan says, you know what? You haven't eaten in all these days. Eat something. And Jesus responds, but it is written. What does he say then? Not by bread alone. And then up on the precipice of the temple, and Satan says, why don't you just jump off? And, and if you're God, if you, if you are who you say you are, then God the Father will send a rescue net and just put him to the test. And God said, wait a minute, it is written, do not tempt the Lord your God. Satan took Psalm 91 to try and tempt Jesus. And then every time Jesus pointed back scripture to him that said, whoa, no, that's not the way it is. And I would say to you, in the times when I've had a faith, a crisis of faith, I have had to look beyond that and say and recognize, I am so grateful my God led me through it, not around it. Can I just confess to you the Chuck Allen of 20 years ago would be the single worst pastor on the planet ever. There is absolutely, positively a reason 
why the Lord God took me, broke me, walked me through losing everything you could possibly leave, and then give me Jenny, and she rescues me personally, and you, you rescued me professionally, and now I look back and say, God, I am so grateful you were with me when I came through the junk. Aren't you? Aren't you? I mean, seriously, my God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But there is a season in which we have to say, God, I need to know you. God, I need to feel you. Psalm 91 wasn't an excuse that Jesus would use for avoiding the cross, but it was the reason for going to the cross. For Jesus to go to the cross, for Jesus to suffer, Psalm 91 doesn't say, I'm not going to let my son suffer because God indeed was with him on the cross, but he allowed him to suffer. Why? Why did he allow him to have his blood to be shed? Why? For you, for me, so that we could claim that's my God. My God defeated death. My God defeated Satan. My God defeated the world. My God is how we win. My God is what I'm taking my faith to. Why? Because he has won it all and done it all for me, and he is my God. Isn't he yours? How do you not want my God to be in the foxhole with you? How do you not want the God who conquered all of evil, how do you not want him to be your God? And I think about that and I think Psalm 91 was, it was no guarantee that we wouldn't go through the junk. Not one time did Jesus ever say, not one time did God the Father say, when you accept my son as Lord and Savior, when you accept my son, to forgive you of your sin, when you accept my son to turn from living for you and to turn to him to live for him, when you accept my son that he was dying for you, he was buried for you, and he raised for you, and you do that, you are indeed going to go through some junk. The big deal is this, that he says, and I'm not going to leave you alone, and I'm not going to walk you around the junk, because if I do, then you'll never learn to trust me. You'll never learn to know. You ever been at a time where something happened in your life and you're just like, I didn't see that one coming. And what, what am I going to do? And all the while, God the Father is saying, call on me. I, I am your God. You see, in, in Psalm 91, there's this, there's this picture that there's one group of people. And they're going to be delivered from destruction and the other group is going to be destroyed. And when we determine what some people are going to be delivered from, we'll also know the means by which others are, are destroyed. You say, well, Chuck, wait a minute. That means that all you have is like on this side, it's like, I'm, God, I trust you. On this side, it's like, God, my crisis is bigger than you. And those are the only two options. And Jesus came like a wedge between them and said, I, I'm sending you a gift in my son. And and you don't have to stay on the outside. You can get right in the middle with him. And you can receive this gift that I've given you. You say, well, Chuck, I need a little background. I need a little study. Well, the chapter before 91, of course, is 90. And it's written by Moses. And Moses speaks of the eternal nature of God and the temporal nature of man. In essence, the brevity and painfulness of life is explained by Moses as the result of God's holiness and man's sin. God never intended for us to be in misery, but because sin entered the world and we were born with that nature, then heartache is certainly going to happen. 
It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. There were two major philosophies in the world. You had the philosophies of the Greeks and the Romans. And they, they shared a very similar perspective of God, of my God. And their perspective was you had Stoicism and you had Epicureanism and that the Stoics said that the gods were apath apathetic and indifferent. And the Epicureans felt that the gods were uninterested and detached. And that was it. That was all there is. And you say, well, that sounds a lot like America today. That sounds a lot like D.C. today. It sounds a lot like Sugar Hill, Georgia today. It sounds a lot like America. For a lot of folks, oh my stars, they see God as some distant grandfather that they can't approach. Or you might see God as some life force. You might, you might even see God as an unloving judge that can't wait to thump you on the head. While others see God as some apathetic creator. But in this text, there's this beautiful, wonderful picture that he says, here's eight things that I will do for you when you say that I am my God. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 14 and 15 and 16, he says, I will rescue you. I will protect you. I will answer you. I will be with you. I will deliver you. I will honor you. I will satisfy you. I'll bring salvation to you. And all of that happens for this one short phrase in verse 14. You ready? For, he will do all those things for he acknowledges my name. Oh, my goodness. When I see you guys and I remember your name, it's not, hey, buddy, it's, hey, here's your name. And I am so bad at it, but once I get it, I got it. Here's the great thing. God knows your name. He knows everything about you. He acknowledges you. He acknowledges you where you are at. He acknowledges you in the recognition that when you choose to call him my God, he indeed becomes, back to the text again, my father, my God, my king, my redeemer, my savior, my strong tower. There was a, ch a church or a school cafeteria and, and some kid trying to be, you know, just a punk pulls out a Sharpie permanent marker and he writes on those, those plastic tables they put up, you know, in a school cafeteria. He said, God was here. And he put it in quotations. Later in the day, I mean, the, the principal thought and thought, man, that's weird. And, and so then the guy who comes to clean the tables and whatnot sees it. And that guy leaves and he go gets a red Sharpie. And he goes to the God was here, and, and he's, he's scratching out the was, and he put is. And his entire perspective was, but my God is not distant. He is here. Listen, if you're at home watching online, he is there. If you're sitting in this room, he is here. My God, you cannot go anywhere that he is not. Well, Chuck, I, I need him in the boardroom Wednesday. Great, let him go. I need him Tuesday morning when I got to face that judge. Let him go. I need him in my home. My family's falling apart. Let him go. Let him be my God. I cannot imagine a life in which we would look at death and destruction, look at all of the things that happen in this life, and recognize that, you know what? All of this God is going to make for our good and for his glory, and he will be my God. Listen, my friend, I can't imagine you not wanting to claim him as my God. There are a lot of people all week long this week, you know what you're going to hear? Oh my God. But in my case, it sounds more like this. Oh my God. I 
trust you. You have proven over and over and over again, I can trust you. You will be there. You are my God. You're my Father. You're my God. You're my King. You're my Redeemer. You're my Savior. You're my strong tower. I can run to you. You've heard me say I picture God in such a weird way, but I, I imagine opening a creaky door. It's got one of those old crystal kind of doorknobs on it, and you walk in, and the room is that kind of dark, fine flooring, you know, and it's, it's got kind of that, that worn look. And over toward the fireplace, there's this big, overstuffed chair. And, and when I see him there, I, I see God sitting in that chair, and he kind of turns his head, and he knows I'm in the room, and I make a flying leap when I get within a couple of feet, and it's like, yes! And you know what he does? He catches me. And he pulls me up to him, and he says to me, Chuck, I've got you. You're my boy. I am your God. Listen to me, friend. God is not going to be impressed with how intellectual we are. He's going to be so loving when we take a flying leap into his arms. We've had grandsons all week long. The middle one's name is Ford. I don't know what they were thinking on that one. But, I mean, Chevy. But, you know, seriously. When Ford saw me the first time when they were back from Amsterdam, he ran toward me with this recognition. He's got these big blue eyes and this funky kind of out of control blonde hair. And he took this flying leap with the belief that Pop was going to grab him. And everything in my soul thought, I am so, I'm so in love with this kid. That's how I see running into the arms of my God. When he says, I'm so in love with my kid, how would you not want that to be your God? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are, you are God of all creation. You are the God of life and sustaining our life. And you are the God of our salvation. So God, I would pray all across this room, folks that are watching online, folks that may listen to this through the week, God, would you show up in their life and remind them that you have a great desire to catch them when they run into your arms. And would you wrap them up and let them have the taste and the understanding that you are their God. Lord, would you give them the ability to just call on your name, which is as simple as, God, I need that. I need you to be my God. If you want to, you just go ahead and thank him. So, God, thanks for saving me. Thanks for forgiving me. Thanks for living in my life. And just jump. And he will catch you, I promise you. He will catch you. More importantly, he promises he will catch you. So, Lord, we pray these things in the matchless and wonderful name of Jesus our Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. I want to invite our team to come take up our offering. And man, if you're thinking, okay, I got to dash out of here, please don't leave yet. Just give it a moment. And you know, I used to say things like, hey, if you're new around here, don't feel obligated to give. But if you want to, please do. You know, I, I look at it now and I think, you know, it'd be one thing if we just did normal church stuff. But this is a church that does so much other stuff than just what normal churches do. And I just say to you, don't miss being a part of that. This, this is the coolest thing ever. Guys, go ahead and start passing the baskets. So as you prepare for Easter, 
I'm a reminder, Zach, that last year about 4,000 people joined us for an online guided communion on Monday, Thursday. And um, I'm so excited about that. I'm also reminded that Good Friday, we come together, and it, although it's this sense of oh, the weight that he died for me, it's, it's also a celebration. Oh, my goodness. And I think about Easter morning, I'm just so excited because he is my God. I get to celebrate my God. 